find something you love and own it. Because if you own it, nobody can control how much time you get to spend with people you care about. Nobody can control how much money you make and nobody can control your happiness. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. Very special episode to me in a million ways. This is episode 200. And so I can't believe that we have been here 199 prior times and now we're here for 200. And we're going to do something a little bit different and really cool for this episode. I'm here with my good friend, J.V. Crumb III from the Conscious Millionaire Podcast Network. And he is actually going to be interviewing me today. And so... I'm going to hand the baton to you, JV, and let's let's jump in and have uh, have some cool moments. Dr. Richard Schuster, this is a huge honor, and I am so proud and excited because very few podcasts make it to 200. That's a rare accomplishment. You know, you're you're in the rarefied world, and there's a reason for it. You have an amazing podcast. You've produced something with the Daily Helping that's very unique. You have great guests. And you bring forth your knowledge about psychology. And so you really have a podcast that helps people on a daily helping. Well, I, I appreciate that, JV. I mean, that, that was my mission when I set out to build this thing four years ago. Never would I have expected it to have turned the way that it has and opened as many doors and introduced me to some remarkable people, including yourself. But extremely grateful and looking forward to doing this for hundreds of episodes to come. Thousands, folks. Thousands. Thousands, thousands oh of episodes it to It will come. never end. <laughs> well, I know one of the things you wanted to discuss, and, and I was very honored to be on the journey with you, that your father just a month ago passed. And, and knowing what I went through 10 years ago when my father passed, it's a very sacred moment in your life. And yeah. I'm curious, what was just the experience like for you? You know, it's... It is something that I wanted to talk about. And, and as I was getting close, I, in fact, I, I recall mentioning this to you, as I was getting close to what my 200th episode was, be, I was, I was kind of stressing out, like, who do I put in that slot? What do, who do I have? And this just seemed like the perfect thing to talk about. My dad was really an awesome guy. And I can't think of anybody who has taught me more about being an entrepreneur being a husband, being a parent, and being a good human being than my dad. And, and I just thought this would be the coolest way to talk about him, to share some memories, the lessons, and memorialize him. Because, you know, outside of the 40 or so people who saw his funeral on Zoom, uh, this is a really neat way to talk about a guy who was pretty quiet and didn't brag about his accomplishments, but 
to really shine a light on him. So it was um, pretty surreal. My dad was a dentist and dentists back in the day, I mean, they wore masks, but they didn't nearly have the kind of uh, safety precautions that they do now. And so there is a disease that my dad had, which is known as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. That's a mouthful, but essentially the theory behind why dentists get this so much more so than the regular population is essentially they spent a career breathing in particles. You know, they would drill people's teeth and bits of metal and ceramic and tooth and these things all fly up in the air and and you breathe them in. And what this condition does is it scars your lungs from the inside out until the point where they don't work anymore. And so in May, they put my dad on a new medication, which was supposed to kind of keep it at bay. And it's it's like tire tread, right? When when you have an, uh, an event like pneumonia or something, whatever your lung state is at at the time, that's your new baseline. And so the thinking behind this medication is that, okay, well, it can really kind of keep your baseline wherever you are. Because at that point, his scarring was pretty minimal. One of the side effects of the medication is heart attack. And so in in early February, I received a call uh, and my dad had gone into the hospital. And so when he was in the hospital, he was not really lucid. What had happened is, we believe this medication, we'll never really know, uh, but something had basically taken out 90% of his heart's functionality. So imagine, you know, your heart has this capacity and his capacity was reduced by 90%, basically the, the minimum that a heart can function and a human being be alive. But as a result of that, he wasn't getting oxygen to his brain or his kidneys and his liver. And so because you had these issues, he had what was called a toxic metabolic encephalopathy, which means that you basically your body's not cleaning out the toxins like it's supposed to. And so the toxins get into your blood and go into your brain and you're kind of in this state of delirium where you don't really know who you are and where you are. And, and it's a condition that can resolve, but it, the kidney has to be able to do its thing and the liver has to be able to do its thing. And, and so they, they were barely functioning. And so, you know, we, I get the call and it's this week in which my dad's not getting any better. In fact, you know, my, my brother is actually a physician and fortunately was actually down there. So could go to the hospital and, you know, him, the description was he was circling the drain. Uh, and the doctors told on a Wednesday, they told my mother, put him in hospice because he's never going to get better. He's never going to wake up. His heart is gone. His kidneys are gone. His liver is gone. Just, it's over. And we, we didn't. And then I had this kind of little light bulb over my head moments like, wait a minute, like I know, I know some of the world's most famous healers, you know, documented healers from all different kinds of practices. And whether you believe in that stuff or not, it's really funny is that when you're in a moment of crisis, sure. you suddenly become more spiritual. <laughs> I'm really open to just about anything. And so I reached out to, you know, about 12 of these guys. And I just you know, said, hey, my dad is basically dying. Do your thing, whatever you can do. Send prayers, send energy, send healing, send love, send whatever. And so Thursday, no real change. 
And my brother, had, you know, I had talked to him that day and said, you know, he doesn't really understand medically why my dad was still alive. And then Friday comes and we do our thing and get to the end of the day. And, and my family and I are all just kept sitting around the table and my phone rings. And I look at the caller ID and it's my dad's number. And I'm thinking, you know, they must have just called me from his phone. So I answer the phone. And my dad was a jokester. Like every every word out of his mouth, particularly when he would meet you for the first time, was a joke. And he doesn't even say hi. He's totally talking normal. And he said to me, so I heard this beeping. And I asked the nurse, hey, nurse, am I dead? And then he started laughing. That was like the first words, not just to me, but to the nurse. So it was just a, so it was just a joke about that. Right, who had been caring for him. And, uh, you know, because he basically was not conscious consistently until this point. So it was the beeping because an IV needed more saline or something. And that woke him up, but totally coherent, completely with it. Uh, Within a day or two, his liver and kidney function had returned to essentially normal. And there was no medical explanation for why this was at all. And so in that moment of time, we got him back. And I remember talking to my mom and she, you know, was in disbelief. And I just said, this is, you know, a gift. And we don't know how long this gift is going to last. It lasted, it lasted about two weeks. But in that time, he was himself. He was joking. My kids got to talk to him. My wife and I got to talk to him. And it was just an unbelievable blessing. And, and yet, from a health standpoint, you know, the kidney and the livers had improved, but the lungs and the heart had not. And the heart was never really going to improve. And, and it was kind of like, imagine a ruler that's teetering perfectly balanced on a pencil. And the slightest thing was going to throw that off, uh, you know, whether it was a milligram too much of sodium or, you know, an extra drop of water too much. It was, something was going to throw him out of equilibrium. And, and there, he was never going to be able to breathe on his own. He was never going to be able to leave, you know, an acute medical setting ever. His mind at this point was totally intact, you know, <laughs> but his quality of life was going to be horrible. And so, you know, on a Friday night, you know, two Friday nights after he kind of came out of it, he was totally fine and joking. And they had moved him into a new facility, which was going to, they were going to try, like I said, it wasn't likely going to work, but try to slowly improve his ability to, you know, take in oxygen. And Friday night, normal, Saturday morning, about 7 a.m., his heart just stopped. And it was, it was quick. Yeah. There was no pain. That's when the call came in. And then I, you know, went down to Florida to be with my family. So, you know, reflecting on it, I have a, a great sense of gratitude that there was no suffering and that he didn't have this prolonged period of life that was horrible, you know, where he would have never been able to leave a bed or, you know, you know, in a diaper. It's, you know, it's one thing when an individual has their mind is gone and they don't know, right? Like somebody with advanced stage dementia that's in a diaper and in a skilled living facility and they really don't have any idea what's going on. But, you know, when somebody is completely sharp, you know, again, my dad was a dentist. He, he was smart and he had all his wits about him. You know, that that sucks. And, and so you know, I'm grateful 
like I said, that, that there was no suffering. And, uh, but especially grateful that my family got that extra time with him, which, you know. Well, and what I appreciate about what you're sharing, Dr. Richard, is that this is all still, having gone through this myself, this is still very raw. Yeah. This is, this is a month out. This is very early. I'd like to circle back to several things. The first one is you talked about your father and you said the different things help you be a husband, help you be a father, you know, but the thing that seemed to be core to all that was he was a good person. Yeah. And so I'm curious as to how you define a good person, because I think all of us kind of have some sense. Well, a good person has these kind of qualities, but what were those qualities of your father that brought out that goodness in him? It's interesting. I, I've never really thought about it in that context because goodness really is not a word that has a true operationalization, right? Like we but, know but you, have, yes, you have a meaning yes, for of course, right. We we all do, right? I, I just realized that as you were sharing that, that huh. So what made my dad a good person was that his focus on family was steadfast. The family was always, always the most important thing to him, no matter what. But there were other things about him that were important too. He was generous, not only with his time, but with his money. He was strong and would stand up for what he believed in, for his convictions. So was he somewhat of an activist? No, no, not really. Uh, what he, but he would do things to, to help people. And I'll give you an example, um, probably the, my coolest favorite example. So when we were kids over the summer, my brother and I would just kind of sometimes hang out in the back of the dental office and we would really probably be annoying, you know, spraying, uh, you know, stealing toys from the treasure chest or, you know, filling up water balloons with the little thing they use to irrigate your mouth and just kind of hanging out. And so I remember one day I was at his office and there was a family that came in. I think the kid was about 11 and had horrible teeth. And my dad fixed his, the kid's whole, he basically rebuilt his teeth um, for free. Thousands, thousands, thousands and thousands of dollars. And he did it for free. And he didn't do that intentionally for me to experience a, a teaching lesson. But I asked him about it. Yeah. I said, you know, dad, why'd you do that? And he said, because it was the right thing to do. And so you know, my dad had said a number of times, he probably would have been a lot wealthier if he didn't give so much dentistry away for free, if he wasn't ethical. You know, a lot of dentists will you know, give you any kind of, kind of add-on. Oh, you should have this or this or this. If people didn't need it, my dad wouldn't do it. And you know, a, a, another kind of neat example from his practice was there were these people who made their living by suing doctors and dentists, malpractice suits. And what they would do is they would, they were pretty savvy. They would know kind of just about the numerical amount to where it probably wouldn't be worth it for the doctor to fight it in court. It would be cheaper just to write a check and make it go away than to litigate it because you've got to you know, testify means you shut down your practice and you have to still pay your staff and not see people. So, you know, these people were not asking for a million dollars. They were asking for exactly the right amount that they'd probably get what they want. And they'd go 
doctor and dentist shopping. And then they would do repeat this. And this is how they made their living. And one day somebody did this to my dad. And, you know, the, the lawsuit came in and my dad was incensed. And, you know, the lawyer was like, well, you know, it's going to cost this much to litigate. And, you know, they, they did the math. And indeed, it would have cost more money to fight it and make it go away. But my dad says, I don't care about the money. I, I take pride in my work. I do great work. And I'll be damned if I'm, you know, going to acknowledge any wrongdoing. And he went to court and he won. And he won, you know, it was like dismissed really quickly because there was so much evidence that he did great work. And so, you know, that conviction, you know, my dad was quietly ferocious in that regard and just would always stand up for, you know, what he felt was right, which was really cool and a lesson that I'll certainly never forget. So I think compatible with or actually complimentary to being a good person is a question because I known you for some time. And, I, and one of the things I admire about you is that you have strong values and the values resonate with me. Like I, one of the values we share is about in honesty and integrity, you know, about how we show up in the world. What were your father's values that really, that impressed you? And I, let's call them life values that also translated to you that you adopted them. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. My dad definitely lived life on his own terms. And as an entrepreneur, you know, I try and live by that every day. You know, my dad, he used to tell us, he'd cut out like, in a magazine, things from a magazine or newspaper that would be like, and he'd stick them on our bedroom mirror. You'd walk into your bedroom, there'd be a thing that says, time is precious, don't waste it. I don't know what what newspaper he was reading where he found those clips, but he he would make statements like that. And so time was very important. And he would also say, you know, what he'd kind of ask me, what do you think you want to do when you grow up? I don't know. You know, how the hell did I know I was 17, right? And so he would say, well, here's the thing. He's like, whatever you do, find something you love and own it. Because if you own it, nobody can control how much time you get to spend with people you care about. Nobody can control how much money you make. And nobody can control your happiness. And, you know, at 17, I, I was more interested in playing, you know, Nintendo with my friends than, you know, really waxing poetically about, you know, those kind of life lessons. But as I got older, I was like, oh, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, that was something. And the other thing, you know, we talk about values. My dad was never about the pomp and circumstance. You know, he, he never got on Facebook, but like if he, if Facebook was around when he was young, and that was like the thing where people would go on and post, look at me, I'm doing this. And my dad would have never done it. Like my dad was never boastful. I, I'm very grateful that he was able to provide my brother and I and, and mom an amazing life 
which certainly were privileged growing up. But in a town where everybody drove a BMW or a Jaguar, my dad drove a Chevy. My dad drove Pontiacs. He, the Ford Explorer he got, you know, in 1992 was used. You know, he bought it from a neighbor. And my dad really emphasized that who you are on the inside should reflect who, who you are on the outside. So I'm curious in terms of the pivots that you've had in your life, and, and you are going through lots of important pivots, how does what you learn from your father in terms of showing up and doing something you truly love that's meaningful to you, how has that impacted your decisions as an entrepreneur? Massively. You know, my dad, he was old school, like totally old school. Like even though you could log into your bank account online, he still liked to sit there with a calculator and the checkbook and balance it by hand, like super old school with everything he did. And so he never really got the tech stuff. When I went to graduate school to become a clinical psychologist and study neuropsychology, that he got. That was go to school, get a degree, get a building, open a practice, see patients, get reimbursed for services. It was a very linear, logical thing for him. And I remember because we were on a cruise, a a family cruise in 2017. It was February of 2017. So really like four years and one month ago. And so I, I was in practice. I had already graduated. I was doing really well professionally. And I said to him, I said, you know, dad, there's this thing I'm going to do. And I've got a five-year plan. I've mapped it all out. And if I accomplish this plan, I will be able to do whatever I want when I'm done with it. And this plan includes me leaving the field of psychology and just you know, being well, able to help for, people. Formally leaving yes. the world of Yeah, psychology. yeah, yeah. Formally leaving I, the world. Because I, I think psychology, like me, I have a degree in psychology, informs everything you do, actually. Yes, but, but yes, I mean, seeing patients in a clinical setting. like yeah, that was. Right, so I right. said this to him, and he didn't immediately say, well, you're crazy. What, why would you do that? But again, like in his mind, I had gone to school and taken the boards and done all of these things, and it was uh, yeah, you know, a like, tremendous journey. Right, why why, would, you, why would you walk away right. from this? And so I, I laid out right. the plan, and the plan was, I'm going to start this thing. Uh, it's going to be a podcast and I have this kind of like progressional plan where the podcast is going to gain me credibility as an influencer and then I'll become known in the media and then I'll write a book and then I'm going to do speak on stage as a motivational speaker and build this other company and do all these things. And he just said to me, he said, well, that all sounds really great. I just have one question. So what's that, Dad? He said, what the hell is a podcast? And that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of, you know, perfectly summed him up. But yeah, I, you know, I mean, again, it was a great sacrifice and, and privilege, you know, to move through and make it through a graduate program, two graduate programs, actually. I got my master's first and then became a psychologist. To walk away from that, to pursue something because once I started podcasting and these other doors started opening, JV, I realized that I'm a good psychologist. And to bring in our buddy Gay Hendricks a little bit, psychology is my zone of competence. I am great with diagnostics. I'm really good on the interview stand in a forensic environment. But when I'm doing this, 
when I'm being creative and coming up with ideas. And that's my zone of genius. And I realized very quickly that this is what I want to do, not that. And so, but my, you know, that, that voice in my head, not literally no hallucinatory content here, but my dad's statement of when I'm a 17 year old kind of calling back to me saying, Hey, you know, do what you love. That is one of the things that really motivated me and gave me the courage, you know, to do this. Because again, like a lot of people thought I was insane when I said I was going to do this. A lot of people said it would never work. My idea is crazy. Yeah. I think that everything you do is very purposeful. It's very purposeful in terms of impact and it's purposeful in terms of strategy. It combines the two of them. I want to circle back to a spiritual statement you said. You said that, you know, when like you were referring to the couple of weeks before your father passed, you know, like we open to spiritual things at this time. What was, I, I think that is true. And I don't, uh, when I had a heart attack, turned out to be a major heart attack, February 5th, 2018. Eventually, I realized I was having a heart attack. So I caught an Uber because I said, this is probably not a good time for me to drive. And I said, take me to the closest hospital. So that's how uh, carefully I chose the hospital. And it was seven minutes on the way to the hospital. It was like guided. And that's where I want to come to here. It became clear to me that I had to decide, was I going to stay or was I going to leave? And by the time I got to the hospital, clearly I'd made my mind up that, you know, I just walked in saying, I think I'm having a heart attack. Let's deal with it. Right. That's literally what I told him at the window. And uh, and we did. What was that spiritual opening like for you when you what did you experience? And then how did you have the knowing, the sense to, OK, I'm going to call all these people and ask them. And it obviously had an effect. But what was the spiritual experience like for you? Yeah, I mean. Spirituality has always been important for me. Uh, so, of course, you know, I, I'm praying during that time. And, and I, you know, there were, there, were, there were a lot of people praying for my dad. And so I just had this kind of intuitive feeling. I'm like, oh, my God, well, what if I reach out to these people? What do we have to lose, right? Like, if, if nothing changes, he's going to die in a couple of days. And if something miraculous happens, you know, it, we'll see, right? And And so... It's it's very interesting. You know, we we know through through science that faith is a significant component of the healing process. You know, that you know, they they've looked at this so many times in so many different settings that patients who believe that they're going to live with conviction, you know, you can believe you're going to live if you jump out of a plane without a parachute, and that's not logical. But generally speaking, those who have a really strong and positive self-efficacy do better, not only just with medical illness, but with life in general, managing stressors and crises and whatnot. So I felt like, you know, my dad's situation was about as dire as it could be. But I also felt like these people that I am privileged to know have done amazing things. Like one of them is, you know, like scientifically documented to pull people out of comas and another person like, you know, trained in China with energy medicine. So truly like if we talk about a multidisciplinary approach, I mean, we had, you know, had, you know, a rabbi and, you know, so it was like this interdisciplinary multi-faith kind of experiment. And I was just open to whatever came of it, whatever came of it, you know? And, and so Again, you know, it was it was interesting too because my brother, who's a bit more pragmatic than I am, 
uh, you know, would really sad. Like there's no real medical reason why he had had that turnaround. Now, for sure, the fact that my brother was able to physically be at the hospital and advocate for him to get the care and for them not to put him in hospice and all that stuff like that, a hundred percent contributed to him getting that extra time because otherwise that doctor, you know, would have, and again, like, I'm not, I'm not blaming that doctor because in a doctor's, particularly in an ER environment, they go with their data. They, they, they run with the data they have. And the data that this, this doctor had was that there would be no chance for my dad ever recovering. So I don't have any enmity towards that guy, but you know, it was crazy. I think one of the things that this shows that it brings up that I think is true, because I was there with both my parents during the passing process, is how important just one more day is when you get to that point. How important it is that you have that last moment to talk to someone. How important it is that they just have the last opportunity to to look at some flowers yeah, or something. Yeah. You know, how how sacred all of that is. I'm curious if now that you're thinking about all of this, what might be three things that you've taken from your father that you think will inform the rest of your life? Well, for one, the, the Frank Sinatra song, you know, My Way certainly and, rings uh, true. So that's you know? probably my favorite Frank yeah. Sinatra song. <laughs> I mean, I'm my, a Frank Sinatra guy. I love it. My, my dad did it his way. He didn't compromise. I mean, he he worked uh, where his where his final office was because he you know he moved around a couple of times and upgraded his office and whatnot. And his last office, he built the office or built out the office, and then he built his house, his dream house, five minutes from the office. And so when a patient would cancel, my dad was a huge fisherman. He and he and my uncle would like that was an, our religion to them, arguably. And so. When a patient would cancel, he was like, great. And he would get the car and he'd go fishing and they would page him or text him as the technology evolved. And he'd go put scrubs on and go back and repeat this process for 20 years. So certainly living life on your terms is one thing that I will take from this experience. The other thing was kind of an unexpected thing that in that my dad, though he lived life on his terms, he died three days from what would have been his retirement eight years ago. And so he only had eight years. You know, everybody, you know, thinks, oh, I worked, worked to 65 and then I've got my nest egg and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire. And you, you never know, right? So not saying that he didn't spend those eight years in quality and he great times with my mom and us and my brother and you know he traveled but eight years is not a long time and I am not going to have that happen to me. Like I'm committed to being able to really spend time, I mean a lot, if not all of my time, <laughs> with my family, watching my kids grow up being involved in their lives. You know, that's something, and again, my dad was an awesome dad, a great parent, but it worked a lot. And, and so that's, that was a lesson. So certainly, like I said, the uh, doing it your way, having enough time to enjoy your life. And, and really, I guess if I, if I thought about a third thing that I, I'm taking from this experience 
is being present every day and appreciating the people in your life every day that you love. Well, you know, as a way of bringing your 200th episode, and again, congratulations, I'm so proud of you and happy for the world because you bring such quality to the world uh, through your podcast. If you were going to say one thing to your dad right now from gratitude, what would it be? I would say, you know, actually, I'm going to back that up because we've done this 199 times. I, I actually end all my episodes by asking my guests, what is their biggest helping, the one most important piece of information that I, I want them to share with my audience? And so I'm going to answer that question by giving you my biggest helping, really the ultimate helping. And I'll tell it in a story. You know, we talk about intuition and spirituality and over Thanksgiving or right around Thanksgiving, we made the decision to go down and visit them. You know, we'd been quarantined. We hadn't gone anywhere since March. And we made the decision we were going to get COVID tests and we were going to drive down and visit my family. And I had a very strong intuitive feeling in, in JV. I don't know why, but I strongly felt if I didn't go down there, I would never see him ever again in person. And so we took our COVID tests and the family was negative and we, we drove over to my brother's. And one of the things I did during my morning routine is I'm always journaling. And so I decided to write everything I've ever wanted to express to my dad, but never did. And I wrote it all down. I mean, everything, the lessons, you know, how much he meant to me, how much he's taught me, how much I knew he sacrificed for us, all of it. And I had that conversation with him. And it was such an amazing experience. And so do I miss my dad like hell? Of course, right? But I know that he passed knowing exactly how I felt about him, right? And so my biggest helping would be to say this, that if you're listening to this right now, and I know we're probably going to wrap this up in a second, but don't take for granted that tomorrow's just going to automatically come because you never know. And so I would urge everyone to, whether it's their spouse or their mother or father or sibling, whoever it is, a mentor in their lives who's meant a lot to you, call them today and not only tell them how much they mean to you, but why, because there, there's just no guarantee that you're going to get a chance to do that. And so. Um... I want to add something here as well, is if you're listening, as I frequently say on my podcast, I don't think there are any accidents. I think this is what you needed to hear. I think at a soul level, because this is that kind of conversation, it was important to you. So my challenge, I always give a challenge on my show, is to think about someone that you want to express your heart and soul yeah. to and take the next 24 hours to do that because the truth is many people leave with you know both of my parents like your father left with knowing that this was going to happen but many people leave and you don't know it's going to happen and uh, so take the opportunity to express your heart and your soul to someone that you care about but you haven't expressed it yet amen absolutely you know i i i end my show by encouraging people to go out and commit 
acts of kindness for strangers. And, you know, end with the line that the happiest people are those that help others. And while that's true, and there's empiricism around that, we often just take for granted the people who live in our house, the people who raised us. And we can't, we shouldn't. So 24-hour challenge, do it, do it for sure. Thank you for the honor of being here to actually host the show for you uh, for the 200th episode. And thank you so much for sharing what I think is a very meaningful expression of your love for your dad and what your dad meant to you. Again, I'm so grateful not only that, you know, you and I got to do this together, but I I can't, particularly, you know, as we're now coming on the back end of it, I'm really grateful that I decided to do this. And, you know, certainly, of course, you know, my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids are going to get to hear this one day. But it's just it's just so important, particularly with what's going on in the world. It's so important that we we love the people and we tell the people who mean that much to us that we love them. So to to what you said in the beginning, uh, here's to thousands of more episodes. Uh, I, for those of you who have been here since the beginning or come on a little bit later, uh, I am so grateful for each and every one of you. Uh, the show wouldn't exist if not for you guys. And uh, I intend to keep doing this until the end of time. So thank you all so much.